Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I want to welcome you to my podcast, From Crisis to Connection. Each week on this podcast, my guests and I will give you and your loved ones resources and tools to heal from the crises of infidelity, pornography, abusive behaviors, and betrayal trauma. But we also talk about how to build and maintain healthy connection in your most important relationships. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad you're here. If you're parenting in the 21st century, there's a strong possibility you have felt overwhelmed and concerned about what to do with smartphones, social media, and all the other digital tools that are in front of our kids these days. I certainly have felt those things. You're not alone. This is something that can easily feel overwhelming to any parent who's trying to be conscientious and protect their children from harmful media, addiction, and basically just numbing out and zoning out all the time. I remember reading years ago that when the first automobiles were created, it took about 10 years for there to be traffic signals. So you can imagine what that looked like. You have all these people that were purchasing automobiles, driving them down the road, and then they would get to an intersection and there were no rules or guidelines about who gets to go or the order of things. And a similar thing has happened with smartphones and and social media and all this technology that's just advancing so rapidly. We've got people that are handing phones to their kids or adults that are just getting phones and devices and gaming consoles and other things. And a lot of the times we just bring them into our homes and we don't really have any sort of clue what what is too much or too little or whether we should have filters or what kind of filters and the list goes on and on. I've struggled with these exact same questions with my own children and I've certainly worked to help guide and support and teach principles to parents over the last 20 plus years as these things have evolved. Well, thankfully, we've got enough time under our belt just as a society with these things that we've got some very innovative and creative and thoughtful parents and leaders out there who are creating resources to help guide us and help teach us how to teach our children. And my guest is one of those today. Her name is Emily Jones, and she and her husband, Dave, created an organization called Family Tech University, where they developed a workshop called the Internal Filter Workshop. And Emily will tell us more about this workshop and about their approach. But one thing I love about it is that it's not focused on just taking tech away from kids or just letting them just run wild with it and just hopefully it works out. This is a staggered approach and a much more nurturing approach that helps parents really be able to teach their children how to build an internal filter, which prepares children to make wise choices with technology when they walk out the door when they're far away from any other digital filter or parental monitoring. And so this is a a chance for us to teach our children how to thrive in this digital environment instead of being afraid of it or locked down with it and so on. And I'm just so excited to have you guys listen to this great interview with Emily and learn more about the great resources that she and her husband have created. This whole idea of an internal filter is really what all of us want for our kids. 
it's an idea that I think we understand when it comes to other choices around drugs or alcohol or how to you know, choose friends or how to treat people. We want our kids to make wise choices and we want them to guide themselves when we're not there. And we definitely need some tools and resources for how to do this when it comes to technology and devices. So after this interview, I'm going to also give you a discount code for the internal uh, workshop, internal filter workshop that Emily and, and her husband, Dave, have developed. It's a fantastic workshop. And this link is going to give you access to the course at a discount as well for my listeners. And it's an affiliate link that actually helps support this podcast, which is a win-win because it's no additional cost to you and you get the course at a discount. So I'm really excited to partner up with uh, Family Tech University with Emily and David to provide this to my listeners at a discount. And I just think every home should have this workshop. It's definitely something that if that you need if you've got a child who's got a smartphone and it's something that parents and children do together. And it's very simple. It's very easy. And it's something that's extremely positive and is not going to control or you know cause your children to feel like they're just being managed. It's going to help them grow and develop into a healthy human being and also help them learn how to manage technology. I mean, I consider that a huge win. Okay, let me jump in now to my interview with Emily Jones from Family Tech University. Well, Emily, welcome to the podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much, Jeff. Happy to be here. Yeah, so I'm a big fan of your guys' work. I saw you first on the BYU TV episode you guys did with your whole family there, and what a cool experience to have a film crew follow you around and show what you guys are doing. And I'm sure that was a lot of fun for your family to do something like that. It was a good time. It was by turns terrifying and amazing. Yeah. So we had a great experience. Probably a lot better than being on a reality TV show, you know, just yes. actually having positive things to share with everybody. <laughs> but I, I, I'm having you here today because you've just, you and your, your husband, and your family have done such incredible work around helping parents help their children develop better media habits inside the home. And the one thing I love about your work is that it's not just only for the kids, that you also expect the parents to basically follow, you know, obviously age appropriate, but follow the same guidelines roughly that the kids follow, that everybody's in this together. Is that is that the case? Am I getting that right? That's beautifully said. Yeah. It really is beautifully said. I think that's where the power comes from. I think that's why we refer to the platform as Family Tech University because it is a family affair. It's mm -hmm. a whole environment approach. So I think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. And I'll tell you, my kids are the biggest, they have the strongest radar for any hypocrisy in, in my wife and I when we're you know, checking out on our phones or when we're basically doing what we, t not doing what we tell them to do. And boy, they'll call us on it. And it, it's a uh, little humble pie there sometimes, right? <laughs> it is so true. It is so true. They are, they are, they have the most sensitive radars around when it comes to that. And as you can imagine, me and my husband with the work that we do, we get it in droves. <laughs> yeah. You pick up that phone at the wrong time and you're going to get it. That's right. <laughs> exactly. I know, especially if it's during times where you've set curfews or limits and things like that. And, and it's really, it's really something where you're supposed to be tuning into them. And it's, I mean, this is just it, right? Like this is, I mean, I love my iPhone. I love my iPad. I mean, I am completely sucked into the Apple universe and I love all the iterations of it. My, you know, baby bear watch, my mama bear, my daddy bear device. You know, I've got all the sizes and all the shapes and everything. And it has just made my life so much more convenient. 
and the benefits of it are just you know immeasurable at the same time i also am way too familiar with the tractor beam pull that this thing has on me and my family and every day i have to manage that and 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 i can't even imagine if it's if it's that hard for me what it would have been like for me as a 10 year old a 12 year old i mean i know what it's like for me as a 40 something year old guy but my goodness this stuff is real and it's designed to pull us in it's very real in fact i think i think that the fear that parents feel in the realm of parenting technology is is honestly very well founded yeah in that the message with you know drugs or alcohol is clear don't do it it's very clear but technology presents more of a smorgasbord for our mm. children where in front of them is this vast array of things to consume you've got alcohol you've got candy you've got donuts you've got broccoli you've got carrots and and so i think most parents would agree that you wouldn't set a child down in front of that and just say go at it even though I'm like you. I firmly believe in the blessing and power of technology. It is such a blessing. Most people are actually surprised that that I work in the realm of technology and parenting technology and that I think technology is good. I know. Because most platforms demonize it wholeheartedly. I know. It drives me crazy. And so that's the balance that you're talking about. You know of the goodness. You also know of the goodness your child can project into the world with it. But you also know that as that smorgasbord, those other options are there. And so the question then is how do we how do we do it? How do we parent this well? Yeah, exactly. And I and it's, you know, this whole sort of uh black and white thing, I think initially alleviates some parents' fears, like, right, don't give kids phones or don't let kids on whatever, you know, just sort of like block, block, block. I get where that comes from. I certainly have felt that so many times. And there's been times I've I've taken stuff away from my kids. I mean, I think that's just good parenting. But it eventually becomes very apparent that for for any person to function in 21st century society, they're going to have to have some kind of a relationship with tech. Unless you're just homesteading and you live out there, but those people aren't listening to us talk about this right now anyway. So, (laughs) right. They're not tuning into these kinds of things because they're too busy doing, you know, living off the grid or whatever. But like for everyone else who's connected and and engaged, it becomes pretty apparent that our kids need to have them. And I think that's when parents get overwhelmed. And I, I see responses and maybe you see this more than I do, I'm sure, which is as you talk with parents, which is either just kind of give in and just let it run and just feel like there's nothing they can do anyway, or they become... Fort Knox and lock everything down and everybody's miserable. And it just isn't, it doesn't. And then, but then they're terrified when their kid turns 18 and can sign their own cell phone contract, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. In fact, I love this concept that you're bringing up because we, we actually had an experience with our kids. So we have five children and four of them are in those teenage years. Yeah. So the, it's 10 to 19. And so we're right in the trenches of this. But when those older three boys were just little, we're talking preschool, toddler, that range. I remember this time when they were they were quite content for a time to play in the backyard. But then the call of the wild began to sound in their ears and they became attracted to the road in front of our house. And it terrified me because we had all this traffic going by. And there were a few near misses of me grabbing a little dude before he you know, oh was running out goodness. there in front of a car. And so obviously, David and I, my husband and I were like, it's time for a fence. It is time for offense. And so my husband labors 
for a summer on this six-foot beauty of a fence, impenetrable. And he puts this fence up and we're just dreaming about the moment when this, this unbreachable fence will be finished and they're just going to contentedly play in the backyard while we're sipping lemonade. It's going to be lovely. <laughs> you can probably see where this is going, right? Oh, yeah. Finished the fence. And not two days later, those three boys had dug a hole under the fence with my husband's golf clubs. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And so I oh. learned two things from that, Jeff. I learned for one that fences are crucial. Yeah. The boundaries that we put into place, the filters, we must put those up because their development has to match their access. I love that. Right? But we have to, in tandem, always be teaching powerfully about the road, about the goodness of the road, about the dangers of the road, about looking both ways, holding hands, because that child, those proverbial golf clubs are always in the closet, right? The possibility of the fence being breached is very real. And that child eventually will grow in height to where they reach the latch on the gate. And so the aim in the parenting of technology is we, we set up those protections, but we are always teaching about the road. And that aim is for a child to walk out the door away from the fences, away from the parental oversight, and they still choose well. That is the aim. And that is, that is, that is the crux of what I believe so strongly that is missing, largely missing from the conversation with technology. And that is the teaching to the heart, the convincing of the child, be wise for their own happiness with technology. That's kind of the, the position we take. Right. I love that. It's a, what a powerful parallel. And what a bunch of creative young boys you have. That is just <laughs> hilarious. I can relate to that. That's something my kids would have done. And so it just brings back a lot of memories of how tenacious they are. Oh, a six wall fence. Yeah, we can fix that. Or six foot fence. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. We know what's on the other side of that. I also think it's like you're saying, it's, it's critical. I mean, if the parents are afraid of the road, the kids are either going to be terrified of it and have a lot of, a lot of shame and guilt when they get on the road, even though the road has a lot of good in it, or the kids are going to you know, it's going to just heighten their curiosity to a, a really unhealthy sort of pathological level, I believe, where they become almost obsessed with it. And the thing is, the road's the road, just like tech is tech. These things are just pathways and that lead us to different places. But I, I love the parallel. I think it's really perfect for helping parents understand. Because the truth is, is like, as you know, you're driving your car down, extending the metaphor here is you're driving your car. You know, most people that are good drivers aren't afraid of the road. Yes. Right. We don't have a panic attack every time we make a left turn or have to do something that's a little bit, takes a little bit of focus and concentration. We just understand the parameters of it and, this, and the rules around it. And it would be nice, you know, if, if uh, we went through all the effort. I've often said this, that, you know, the amount of drivers that our kids take to drive a cage of steel around the, the road, I would love to have something like that. And, and in fact, you and, your, you and your family, your husband, you guys have created something like that, that really does give parents a chance to really start to give kids, you know, practice, if you will, learning, talking about and experiencing the open road of, of technology with those constraints in place, right? Yes. I, you know, honestly, this is sort of an unexpected space for us to find ourselves in. But I think, I think this, this project that we have labored over really began out of that parental fear that we felt when our oldest son was asking for his own device. I think this project that is where it originated is that that oldest child was asking for a device. And 
my husband is an IT professional and I am a, I read the news, I read the articles, I am fairly educated on the dangers and the things that were out there. And I think we were asking ourselves at that stage, how are we going to do this well? Right. You know, how, how are we going to do this well? And so I did what any self-respecting 21st century mother does. I started to Google, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I learned some interesting things back in those days as I was searching for the wise ways to parent this technology. And I learned a couple of things. I learned first that there is a very palpable community of fear that is active in parenting realms. I think there is a lot of fear projected upon parents that your child is doomed, that your child is destined for trouble unless you put this all in lockdown. And the other thing that I learned is that there's a lot of great information out there about the fences, about how to set up the filters, about the rules that we can set. But there was very little discussion about the convincing of the child themselves. There was just it left me with with almost a hollowness as I was reading where there was so much fear stirred up with parents and so much information about how to set up those fences that no one was talking about the agency of the child and about nurturing within them that desire. We don't want our children just to do good. We want them to choose to do good, right? And so that spurred, we thought we are going to put together a little driver's ed for the smartphone. That's what we're going to do. Like yep. you mentioned, we're going to put together, we're going to search the web for the most convincing materials, videos, articles, studies, anything that a child could read and think, oh, I want to choose well with that because of this, because A, B, or C could happen. Or I want to choose well with this because I'm going to be a happier, more balanced human being. And so we kind of organized all of those materials into modules and all of those things were designed to address the things that parents worry most about, the impact of social media, how to find stillness in the realm of technology, the goodness that's to be found in technology, social media, all of those things. And we had that oldest child experience that workshop before he was able to own his own phone. And I tell you, Jeff, there was some resistance. He was like, yeah, yeah. parents are weird. They are yeah. the only parents on the planet that would make me do this. But what we learned is that it's okay to ask them to put in some study before they're behind the wheel of that powerful of a vehicle. Mm -hmm. And what we learned as he would digest these articles and we would talk about them is that he was beginning to possess his own opinions. He was gathering a, a cadre of his own owned opinions. This is not dad's opinion or mom's opinion. This is mine. Yes. This is how I want to act with technology. And it was powerful. So we started kind of sharing this workshop that we, we call it the internal filter workshop. And we started sharing it with family and with friends. And the word of mouth just started to spread. And as we started getting requests for it from all over the country, we decided this is something that could benefit other parents. Yeah. No, I love it. I'm so curious, and, and I'll, we'll talk more about how a unique part of this online workshop that I think is so cool, but real quick with your son, when you said that he started to form his own, his own opinions that he was able to take ownership of, can you share some of those things that a kid that age would be forming? Like what kinds of stuff would, yeah, yeah would a kid be taking ownership of? Let me give you a couple of examples. So one of the articles, one of the, the pieces of 
of content that we have our children consume through this workshop is a special by 60 Minutes. It's called Brain Hacking. And it's a special that they put together that is sort of an expose on the algorithms that social media companies use to keep us online for as long as possible. So it's sort of a, hey, this is what's going on behind the scenes while you're clicking around Facebook or Instagram. Okay. And so we had our son, I said, you, Ben, you really ought to, ought to check this out. This is kind of disturbing because it was super disturbing to me. Yeah. And so he consumed it and he was young. He was really young, maybe 11, 12. And he consumed this video and he was outraged when he came away from that video. Right. Surprisingly, I was surprised by the power of his reaction. He said, Mom, I can't believe they're doing that to us. We don't even know. Yeah, nobody likes to be played. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he said, it makes me feel like a puppet. That's right. Like there's a guy behind the screen that's analyzing my every move and trying to get me to stay on so he can make more money. And that just outraged him. And Jeff, to this day, that boy has a very suspicious, guarded relationship with social media because of an owned opinion. Yeah. This was not mom told me this. This was, I have consumed something that is true and I have developed a feeling for it, an opinion. Another example that I can remember happening with my daughter, you know, she's right at this stage in the throes of that, that age where body is changing, we're self-conscious about everything. And she had consumed a piece of media from our social media section that was entitled, it was something like, how social media can make you feel bad about your body, something to that effect. And she consumed that article and it was weeks later, we were watching some beloved Disney movie and the main character who she loves, she even has a quote from this character on her wall, has this impossibly small waist. And my daughter looked at this character and she looked at me and she said, mom, that is so fake. Oh, good. <laughs> that she looks that way that is not real yeah and I could have just cheered oh yeah because she was filtering she had had nurtured in her this internal filter this ability to filter what she was seeing and place it in a realm of reality that is powerful that's every parent's dream to have a child that's you know savvy media literate that really understands the content the messages like you said the the manipulation that's going on. And a kid's not going to internalize that if it's coming from top down, mm -hmm. right? If parents are just, I mean, we all do that. We all put up these fences around our kids, but they're looking for golf clubs. And I, and, <laughs> and this example of, of what you're sharing, I mean, that like, I love the word own, that these kids own this and nobody can take it from them. Yes. I mean, it's theirs for life. And it's still, like you said, with your son still is part of how he sees and thinks about social media, which is so cool. It really is. And, and I think at this point, it might be wise also to, to emphasize that this journey to developing these capacities is very much a line upon line journey. I share these examples, but I think it's important to understand in our family, like any other family, there are stumbles, there are mistakes and errors made sure. by our children. And we are, it's interesting as parents, I think we are so accepting of the idea that when they're toddlers, they're learning how to walk. They're going to fall down a lot. Very accepting of that. But we are terrified of them making mistakes with technology. The stakes feel higher. They feel, it feels more perilous. But I think we've really got to ground ourselves as parents into this concept that they will make mistakes. 
there will be errors and we're not going to freak out. That's we right. are going to understand that as they develop this capacity, it is a process. Yeah, it is a, it is a process. Yeah, exactly. And do we trust that our kids can feel and sense when something feels wrong? Yeah. Right? That they can sense inside like, I don't like how it feels when I look at this or I, I access that or spend too much time on this, you know, fill in the blank. But as if we have to be the only filter for that, it's, it just doesn't have to be that way. So I, I think that's beautifully said. Yeah. I love that. I love, I love the idea that we can trust that our kids, just like a, a child who falls down, they do want to get back up. Naturally, they get back on their feet and our kids don't want to stay down. They're not going to stay feeling like crap forever. <laughs> they don't like it. They have a natural, they have a natural desire to get, get up and walk. And it may, you know, it may take longer than we'd like it to, but this whole idea of permanence or brain damage, and they're just going to be like, you know, addicts the first second they look at something. I just think that that is so damaging to believe that. It's just not true. It's not been my experience with my own kids or with, you know, the stumbles we've had in our family, but also with a lot of the families I've worked with over the years. Like, it's just not like that. See, I love hearing that from you because you can speak from such wisdom and in your own professional and personal experience and the things you've observed. It's so true. There is always hope. And uh, so many parents, one question we get asked all the time, I've got a 17-year-old I can't imagine him having an internal filter. He grabs every piece of technology time he can get. He hides things. There is always hope. There is always hope. And oh, yeah. parents never know when they're planting seeds. No, exactly. It's never know. Yeah. No, I've got 70-year-olds in my office that, you know, of course, didn't have smartphones as kids, but as they've gotten older, they've realized that it's not working for them. And there's, there's nobody bossing them. And, but they, they have this, they're trying to develop their internal filters as fully mature adults who, you know, you would think could do whatever they want and who cares, but like they have a natural sense of like, this feels like darkness. I don't like it. And our kids come wired that way. And I, yes, we can get to a point where we're so numb, we don't care. But in my experience, these kids aren't going to turn out to be ax murderers or Ted Bundy's or whatever, because, you know, they, they had a few stumbles on social media or saw pornography or things like that. We've got to get perspective and recognize that we're not going to be helpful to our kids if we're freaking out all the time. It's so true. In fact, I think that may be one of the more powerful abilities that a parent can develop is that being able to show that child when those errors happen, they're actually almost instructive and helpful because it's an opportunity for the parent to show I am a safe place to land. Right. I am a safe spot. You will not be condemned or shamed when this happens. I'm going to work with you. What can we do together? How can I help you? And seriously, to all the parents out there, and I include myself in there, let's quit pretending to be so shocked and, and like horrified that our kids are making mistakes. I mean, we have to look at ourselves if we're honest. How many of us would not have taken the opportunity to push it a little bit or check something out or be curious? Or I mean, this is just, this is just human nature. It's developmental. And for us to, it, to me, it's hypocrisy to pretend like, it reminds me of that scene in Back to the Future where, you know, Marty McFly's mom as an older woman is like just horrified that, you know, a girl would sit in a parked car with a boy and she just couldn't believe it. And then we go to the flashback and of course she's hitting on her own son, <laughs> which is just crazy in its own way. But like, but it's just like, we're, we can sometimes forget as we get older, what it feels like to have all these new experiences and, and hormones and and peer pressure and just all the things that are going on in those ages. And, they, and we just need calm, reflective, steady 
parents that are just guiding us along the way instead of people that are just flipping out that how in the world could you just be a human being? I mean, it's just, you know, it just is, it's not helpful. So I love, I love the calm approach of helping the children do the work. And Emily, in, in your course, one thing that, you know, as we were talking before this, you had mentioned that uh, I think is so cool is that the, is that the, the course is actually for the children, right? Right. They're the participants and the parents have a connection to them and get to read and follow up on the work they're doing in their little journals and their commentaries. And so it's very much a team kind of a thing. And the parents can watch the progression, whether the kid is blowing it off or whether the kid is really digging in and has questions. And so it's it's very much a, a tandem type experience. It is. It really is. It's actually a really remarkable piece of technology because I think, you know, we Really, we have to address that this this is a whole family experience. Mm-hmm. And so the, the exciting part is, is that the child puts in the effort. The child reads the materials, journals online, their reaction. And this piece of technology will, with the child's knowledge, of course, and consent, will email the parent that journal entry. And so it's such a marvelous conversation generator. Right. The parent receives this email with that child's journal entries about what they are learning, what they are consuming. And the parent says, hey, I noticed you wrote this. I really thought that was a great idea. I'd love to hear more about what you think about this. Or the parent can also register. He's blown this off. You know, our, our maturity level maybe isn't, isn't yeah. where I hope it will be, but it will be. But it gives this parent the awareness of what's going on in the head Am I registering what I'm learning? And it's just awesome. It's really an awesome experience. Right. Or even, wow, these answers seem too good to be true. We probably ought to have an offline conversation about this. (laughs) Kind of get a better read on this to make sure they're not just telling me what I want to hear. That's the truth. Very, very well. So, you know, everybody, you know, you're going to know your own child and, and, but what a cool thing. I mean, I know so many parents you know, have, I've talked over the years have just felt mixed about, well, how, how do you know, do I read their journals? Do I get in, you know, I don't want to be prying and I don't want to like, just always look on their cell phone and see the conversations they're having, or I want to give them a a private place, but this is really inviting a conversation about something that may be hard for parents to have, or they may not know how to have with their kids without it sounding like a lecture, without it sounding like all their fears are coming out and the kid can sort of learn from the content, the material, and the journey, and then pull the parents in uh, for a bird's eye view of the whole thing. Yes, it, it really is a great experience. And it, it puts it puts that child in the driver's seat mm-hmm. with an understanding that, okay, this, these really are going to be ultimately my decisions. How do I want to interface with technology? Right. One of the things that we really encourage parents to do in order to nurture this in their children is to nurture in the child life vision. Dave and I have almost this pathological interest in young people who are choosing well with technology. Why? That's what I want to know. Why is that child choosing well? Yeah. What are the elements of their thinking? And what's, what's happening in that child's mind and environment that would spur good decision-making with technology? And I'll tell you, Jeff, the one thing that we find in all of those kids is some level of life vision some understanding or dream inside of themselves of what they want tomorrow to look like. It's surprising sometimes how much kids have thought about this. What kind of dreams do they have for a future career? What dreams do they have about future family? What kind of a person do they ultimately aspire to be like? These things are all components of this life vision. 
And I'll tell you, life vision is a huge driver of decisions with technology. Oh, absolutely. All the time, talk to kids who say, well, I'm kind of, I'm kind of putting a cap on how much I sit on this platform because I don't want that to become a huge part of my life. Or, oh, I have these dreams that my family will be like this or that I'm going to be this kind of a dad or this kind of a mom. And those dreams, that vision is so powerful. And especially when we can help them tie today to tomorrow, when we can help them make that connection between my these habits that I'm developing today are going to impact those dreams, those things I most want. And that's powerful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's not the parent's vision. It's not the child isn't, you know, isn't making decisions based on mom and dad's dream for them to go to us, you know, go to BYU or something or to serve a mission for their church or to do other things like that. This is the kid's vision, which may or may not include those things, but it's about the kind of person they want to be, where they want to end up. And you're right. Like, Everything we do every single day will get, move us closer or further away from that. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I I understand that. I, I remember as a teenager, I grew up in a very small town in Oklahoma, and a lot of the kids that I was around, you know, just were living for the moment. And I and I knew, I knew at that age, and I was the only member of of our church, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. I was the only member in my high school. And I remember it was very lonely in the sense of not having sh- some of the shared values and beliefs, but I knew there was a group of kids at BYU. I, that's where I wanted to go. I knew that I could be around other kids that believed what I believed. And, and it was like that understanding of what I needed to do to get there. Because my sister had gone there and told me about the honor code, love it or hate it. I knew that there was an honor code and that I needed to be <laughs> in some kind of spiritual, physical, emotional shape to show up there and be able to pull that off. And that vision, was a huge influencer in the choices that I made every single day. And what I did with girls, what I did with drugs and alcohol, like it was all in my face. And I just remember that vision. And so when you're talking about that, I'm just reconnecting to that and how powerful that was for me. And it drove daily decisions for me. And I eventually got to BYU and, you know, and, and that's where I met my wife and my life has been so much better because of that. But I, I agree. I, developing that. And I think about my own kids and how, how do we really fire that up and I'm helping get clear on it. And you guys have a module or a section in there. That's part of the work, right? It is. In fact, the final module is kind of the crowning experience of, of the internal filter workshop. It's called Story of My Life. And this is something any parent can do. Yeah. But we, before our kids have possession of their own device, we have them do either a sound or a video recording that we call a life vision recording. And it is the most amazing experience. We basically have them record in their own words, their dreams and their hopes for the future, Mm. both short-term and long-term. What kind of memories do you want to have in high school? Kind of a person do you hope to be remembered as a, a young person in high school? What are your dreams as far as future education? What are your dreams for a career? What parts of this wide, beautiful world do you want to see? What do you want to do? What kind of a parent do you want to be? They speak out loud these dreams in this recording. And I have yet to listen to one of my children's recordings without shedding some tears. Oh. Because realize what's in there. Yeah. Some of the most underestimated people that walk this planet are young. I love that. That's exactly right. 
And we it's can trust really that. True. Yeah, we can trust that. We can. We can trust that. And the more the more we can help them vocalize or write down or reflect upon that life vision. I just love the example you shared about your desires to go to BYU. That is a perfect example of how a a dream, a vision can drive a person through what could be a fairly perilous time of life. It provides endurance. It provides perspective and understanding that this moment is short, but can impact so far ahead. And so, yes, that life vision is just invaluable. And parents can engender that. We really can. And these are conversations that, you know, need context. It's not like you can just walk up to your kid and just be like, all right, let's sit down tonight for a family meeting and have you all just record your life vision. I mean, that would just, most kids would be like eye rolls and just like, get me out of here. This is so weird. But when you've built it in layer by layer about what they could lose or what could happen to them and what do they want and really make it positive and empowering over weeks of, of preparation, it really wakes them up. Because I think what you're saying is that, you know, as you work with children and help them understand what's on these devices, how it can move them toward or away from the things that matter to them, then it really starts to do that background work of like, well, what do I want? Who do I want to be? And that internal filter starts to become developed, like you said, as part of the bigger life vision. I mean, that's what really protects the life vision are those filters. It's so true. It really is true. I think you've said it so beautifully Mm -hmm. that those that filtering, it, the more we can connect them, their current behavior with technology to their own future, the more that we can teach them to curate that de- technology feed. I love what you said earlier in our conversation about how young people can recognize, I feel awful when I consumed that yeah. piece of media. I just feel awful. And when we can really hone in on that, on them developing that capacity to recognize, I just, oh, if... What you said, that that example of, oh, I just really felt bad when I consumed that, that is the best thing that could ever happen. Yeah. Because when they're more sensitive to, oh, there's this social media account that I'm following, and every time I see a post, I feel bad about myself, or I feel less, or I feel FOMO, or don't like who I am. If they can really register, I don't have to eat that. I don't have to consume that. I'm going to unfollow that experience. I can curate what I am consuming, and I'm going to feel better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think about my own kids and helping them manage, you know, their own just sort of appetites with food or junk food or things like that. I mean, we don't freak out when our kid eats something that, you know, they've overdone it on something. And we're just like, what's wrong with you? You know, because we've all, we've all downed a pan of brownies. I mean, we all know what that's like. And this stuff, I mean, I think you're right. There's so much fear around it and we just don't have to be afraid. We have to just be prepared and be aware. The truth and have prompts and conversations and permission to talk about these things in a less reactive way. Emily, also, I mean, as far as the balance of, this is a question I get all the time from the parents that I talk to as well, which is, you know, what is that balance between, again, the six foot fence and allowing the gate to swing open and have kids have access to the road, you know, using your metaphor, like, what is that balance? And I, I mean, my answer is always, well, it depends. (laughs) And then we have a bigger conversation, but I'd love if you've got any, any thoughts on that beyond, you know, just the, it depends, it really gets some specific advice. I'm curious what you'd say. Yes, sure. Well, for one thing, I think some of the basis for a lot of fear on the part of parents is, is just that basic question. What do I do? Mm-hmm. 
they think I love these ideas. I know that these things are true, but how, how do I really do this? One mechanism that we use in our family is what we call a stepped approach to the granting of technology. And I think this is really powerful and can bring parents a lot of guidance and peace. And the way that it works is I'm a huge advocate for being very cautious, very deliberate in the granting of technology to children. I think many, many of the problems that young people run into with technology is that they have access to more than their maturity and ability can handle. Yeah. And so one thing that parents can do, this is what we do in our family. We begin with a very basic call-only, text-only phone. That is the beginning step. And so when the parent decides that it's time to grant some level of personal device, we begin with either a text-only, call-only watch or a phone. And we give them that technology with all of this wonderful training that we're talking about. We were, like I said, we're building the fence, but we're also teaching. We're also teaching. So when that child has access to that level of technology, watch them. How are they behaving with what they do have access to? If they have access to a video game console, do they have a fit for an hour straight when they've got to turn it off? Do they have a fit when they need to plug that phone in at night? In their conversations and the way that they're using that phone, are those positive interactions? Are they sending out good things into the world? Are they using what they do have access to appropriately? As you observe that child and notice that strengthening, that capacity growing, once they gain some level of mastery over that level of technology, then we consider the next step, which in our family is a limited smartphone. So they will have limited access to a browser, maybe just at certain times of day. We've got the filters installed and they may have access to some parent-approved apps. So they start kind of moving into a little bit more technology. How are they behaving with that next level? Are they being wise? Are they being wise about the things that they're doing with that level of technology? We never grant that added layer of technology before that child is demonstrating responsibility and wisdom with what they already have. Yes. And that's a really powerful tool for parents. It brings peace in knowing We have a plan. We know what we're going to do. It also empowers the parent that if they grant some level of technology and the child is consistently not doing well with it, maybe they're seeing damage. They're seeing, you know, unhealthy things consistently happening with that. The parent can be very brave and very courageous to pull back to that previous level and get things established again. Until that, until we're developing this maturity and this demonstrated responsibility, I think that's helpful. I love that, and then it, and then eventually it just opens up to where you know when they when they reach a certain age or even adulthood, they've already had so much practice driving this tech with everything in place that it's not going to be this big free for all. It'll be a natural slide into you know uh, full access that you know you and I have. I mean. We have to have some level of filtering. Otherwise, we'd either spend all day on the couch surfing or getting ourselves into trouble or whatever, you know, just. Yes, I love that you bring that up. I think aside from just having a plan for granting technology, I think we also put together what we call, we, we actually have a free download if your listeners are interested in that. It's called My Tech Plan, and it is a much better alternative to the traditional cell phone contract that we hear so much about. This is the higher level of cell phone contract in that it is a plan 
where the, the child counsels with the parents, the parents put into place just a few very simple rules. I mean, less than a handful, very easy to remember. They might be things like no phones at the dinner table, no phones in bedrooms, very simple, not a long list, not overly complicated. But the real magic happens in the second part of this document where the child outlines their own plan Mm -hmm. for interaction with technology. And most parents are amazed when they go through this process to see just how much that child really does want to do well with it. They really do. Right. And so when we have this combination of the scaffolding put into place by the parent, that wisdom, these are our family rules that are very simple, but then that child embellishes that with their own perspective, how they hope to use technology. It is a recipe for amazing things. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, that's so, a great resource. I know, and, I, and to pull our kids in is, you know, if, if we view them as, as, again, someone that wants good and seeks good, instead of starting off from, hey, you're trying to get something from me that's not good for you, then we set yes. up an adversarial relationship and we can't really... And they feel that, and we're not going to be able to really work together as a team to help them if we just believe they're out there to try and get whatever they want. It's interesting. I talked to a, I went and spoke to a group of parents a few weeks ago and uh, in a church setting and, and the bishop of that congregation, when he stood up, he said, the reason I'm having this meeting is because I've been meeting with all your kids. And what they're telling me is that they want more help and support with their phones and they're not getting it. And I was, I was so proud of those kids for going and talking to a church leader, another adult and saying, hey, can you talk to my parents? And I, I don't, you know, I need help with this. I'm struggling with pornography or social media or whatever. And it's overwhelming me and my parents have no clue how to help me. And, and I just thought, wow, our kids are probably at a point now, you know, because it's, it's just the, the wallpaper of our lives now, it's everywhere that it's not novel anymore. And they, they need help and tools and resources. And we're the best, I think parents are the best, the best resource. If if we're going to stay calm and educated and supportive, we can do so much good. Oh, amen to that. I think that's so beautifully said. What a great example of of the real root desires of most people to do well. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I I imagine that it probably just took some non-judgmental and loving questioning and concern from this leader to draw that out of these kids. And I think parents are totally positioned to do that with their own children. So true. So So Emily, let's talk about just wrapping up here, I know that you've been kind enough to grant a discount and access to this course for my listeners. And so I'll put that information in the show notes so that you guys can get a, a discount. And that also helps support the podcast at no cost to any of you. It's a great opportunity for us to team up with, with Emily and, and her, her uh, family tech university. But that's the basic of, that's the course for the children and the parents can learn alongside with the parents, right? Yes, that is right. And of course, the one thing that's that's helpful, I think, for parents, because they want to know, well, what's my child consuming? Yeah. There is when when that workshop is purchased, the parent has instant access to the entire workshop. Perfect. The child okay. does not. The child moves in a, you know, module one doesn't open until or module two doesn't open until one is complete, but the parent gets a view of the whole thing. So they can look ahead and anticipate what's coming and be aware so they yes. can answer questions. And I love it. Yeah, that's yes. a great that's a great design feature. I think that that's fantastic. As someone who builds courses myself, I know there's lots of decisions that go into how you release the information, how it's done, and where you're doing it for two different learners or two different, you know, two different motivations, if you will. I think that's a great way to do it. And so we, I definitely would encourage 
you know, all of you listening to go check this out. I'm going to go through it with my kids. I've I've consumed everything that Emily and her husband have done. I've looked at it all and it's it's just fantastic and I and I totally support it. In fact, I gave a presentation that you can find on YouTube from like, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. And it's a very, very rough version of me trying to clumsily explain a lot of these concepts that they have completely refined and put into a message that has me cheering. I just think it's fantastic because it's just so overwhelming if we don't have good guides and answers as parents. We can feel very outnumbered very quickly by the devices, by our own kids, by all the pressures. And so for us to be in front of this and and feeling confident to me is just a huge gift. So thank you to you and Dave for for the great work you guys are doing. Thank you. Support families. Yeah. You are so good to be here. You can learn more about Family Tech University and the great work that they're doing by visiting their website at familytechuniversity.com. And of course, on that website, you're going to find a link to the internal filter workshop. And you can purchase additional licenses for other children so that each child has their own login and can work privately through the materials and stay connected to you individually so that you can understand where they are and what they need. It's a really cool opportunity for children and parents to have these conversations about phones and social media and media messages and just a fantastic resource for today's 21st century parenting. And again, if you want a discount on it, you can enter the code JEFF5 at checkout for the internal filter workshop. That's G-E-O-F-F, the number five, all caps. I'll put a link to this in the show notes so you can find it there easily. And this will give you a discount on the course. And again, it's an affiliate link, so it will provide some additional funding for this podcast. A huge win-win at no cost to you. And I'm just excited to partner up with these guys and provide this. Thank you, Emily and David, for the great work that you're doing, supporting families, helping children develop into healthy citizens. And I'm just thrilled that this is out there for people to use. And once again, I want to thank all of you for your ongoing support of this podcast and the great comments and feedback I hear all the time. And you can continue to drop me a line. You can DM me, you can email me, uh, contact me on my website. I love hearing from you. I love hearing what's working, the things that you're interested in learning about, guest suggestions, and so on. So stay in touch. and Let's keep growing this podcast together. And once again, you can visit my website, fromcrisistoconnection.com. And on that website, you can find past episodes of this podcast. We've got over 100 episodes you can sort through. And then I write a weekly relationship column. In addition to online courses, and I'm very active on social media, lots of great resources on my website. So go check that out for all things healing and recovery and trying to support families. There's just some great resources there. Thanks again for joining me. And I look forward to being with all of you in the next episode. Mm -hmm.